Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them and they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Matt Gilhooly with us. Um, Matt is a good friend. He is a fellow podcaster. I was on his podcast, The Life Shift, uh, just recently in December, and I just really enjoy connecting with Matt. He is a great guy great podcaster and host. Um, Listen to The Life Shift. I will plug that in the show notes at the end. It is a great podcast where people just share their huge moments in their lives, uh, big transitions and those life shifts. And it's just a very human story. So um, I also, I have Matt here today because he is a fellow educator and he works in higher ed at a for-profit school. So we are going to be talking about education, not just podcasting today. (laughs) So thanks, Matt, for being here. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to be on the other side. I know. I love it too. Um, So your background is in communications, um, but what led you into uh, education? Well, actually, my newest background is communications, Uh, but I got my MBA in early 2000s and worked for a couple startup companies and, you know, did operations and did kind of, I like the startup feel because you get to do something different every day and you get to learn something new. And so it was very much about, I didn't stay at a place if I felt like I wasn't learning. So I think there's always that kind of connection to education. And so after that, I was moving back to Florida from Boston, and I just, on a whim, applied to work at a local college here in Orlando and to teach in the business program. And that was 2008, and I'm still doing it. I I left for a little bit and moved away and had a little sabbatical, if you will. But I teach in the business programs at the school and teach like leadership classes, personal branding classes. And most of these students are looking to to not necessarily have a traditional business degree, but work in entertainment and media. And so we try to create curriculum that that aligns with the real world and what they're going to do versus, you know, what a textbook says or leadership theory or those kind of things. That's great that it's like so practical and like kind of hands on in that way. What is maybe... Um either a story or an experience in the classroom that you'd like to share maybe early on, or it could be something recently too. Early on, I was teaching on campus and online. Uh, We had just launched an online program in 2008. And so now we're, we're well into it and we've adapted and we've done really amazing things in the online space to make it mimic the campus experience. Campus for me was interesting because our school runs on an accelerated program. So our semesters are four weeks long. And so when we were on campus, we were on campus for 60 hours a month. And so that meant we were in the classroom four to eight hours a day talking on the same topic. And so that presents a different challenge because we as humans really can only 
digest so much information and process it and then remember it for the next day. Yeah. And so it was an interesting experience because I was able to to work really closely with with the group of students and kind of flip the classroom in a way as we all come in prepared and we do project-based learning activities in the classroom because again we want we want to go on the practical side. And so I was teaching like a finance type class and no one wants to take a finance class to begin with. And honestly, you're not studying and like no one's remembering like ratios and things like that. It's just something that you'll always kind of look up, right? And so we had to find a way that would that would relate the topic to a student that just wanted to be, you know, an artist manager for a music artist. And so we would do really in-depth budget assignments, which doesn't sound really exciting, but if if the students walk away from those activities understanding that there's more than just the money coming in and that there are these recurring expenses and single expenses and taxes and things that they need to consider moving forward, those were the exciting activities. Those were the time periods in which the light bulbs kind of go off and you're like, oh, it's not just me making a lot of money. Because I think a lot of students are like only focused on the income that they're going to make and don't really realize that if they want to start their own thing, there's a lot that goes into it. And so these these four to eight hour classes actually were palatable because we were able to do more project-based learning, light bulb moments, me walking around and not just, you know, the state the sage on the stage, but rather the guide on the side, <laughs> like my little rhymes for you. I love it. Yeah, I think this is really neat to have so much time with students, like in one setting. And we'll get into this later because I often talk about schedules like in school. Um, one thing that's always been frustrating for me is like you get into something 45 minutes or even 60 minutes, you're just like, uh, okay. And then it's choppy, you know? And then you're like, you come back to it maybe a day or two later because even in our schedule, we don't see the same class every day. Mm. So this kind of project-based learning, which is, it's a, like kind of like a buzzword in education right now, but really it's a great way to create a class and like have students really learn you need time like you just really need time with students and I think learning finance in that way is great because you're just like let's actually see what this would look like in the real world what are the things you would have to go through like how would you problem solve and really like get into like a deep dive into it instead of just all of like let's learn all about the the math behind it or the jargon and all of that and like take a test right so did you find like your students really uh learned in this method in this way and like did you ever get like feedback from them about like how they uh liked these projects yeah i mean i think there's a balance and i think you probably see it in you know your level as well the student has to show up not physically but also not just physically i should say but also mentally they need to want to do the activity right and so in a traditional sense, you might see a budgeting activity in which, to your point, it's kind of more the math. It's here's a list of expenses, figure out where they go, how much you're going to end up with, what's your profit, what's your, you know, what's your loss, whatever those may be. But in this sense, if the student came in with a true direction of where they wanted to go when they graduated, what they wanted to do next, we were able to take that and then go, okay, so this is where you are. These are the things you need to consider. And then they had to go find the resources that would uh, support the numbers that they put on the budget. So if we had a student that was truly devoted to what, like truly wanted to make 
their dreams come true, right? Mm -hmm. Then it was a, a value. Of course, there's always going to be a student that comes in and just doesn't care. They just, and you do your best for that. But, you know, they're, the students that really cared are the ones out there doing the job that they initially started school for. And so, yes, the value of that. We actually had a personal finance section of that course, which I thought was probably the most eye-opening for a lot of students. And we had them read an older book written in, I believe, the 30s called The Richest Man in Babylon. Mm. And it's a short little book, but it had practical parables, if you will, of stories of how they could start thinking about their own personal finance. And then to that point, many of the students were 18 to 30 and had never really thought about finance. Mm. So if nothing else, they walked out with the idea that perhaps I should start saving, perhaps I should pay myself first, per perhaps I should be aware of the money that's coming in and going out. Yeah. And just this whole um, part about the students having buy-in, right? Like coming and showing up like mentally prepared to do this work. You're in higher ed. So like I think about high school, right? I have to be here. My parents make me go to school. The law makes me go to school, but they're paying for school and they're young adults and they're looking at how is this going to benefit me in my career track? So even at your level, you do see that there's some students that are like, kind of like, I don't really care. Like, I wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit. Like why even at the higher ed level when there's an investment and there's students who are choosing their classes, right? Why do you think some of them might still be like, I don't know if I want to really give like my all to this? Well, at our school, they don't get to choose their classes. It's a okay. prescribed model. They, there are, you know, and it's an accelerated program. So everything needs to go in order. We need to scaffold our learning. There's a true intention behind the objectives that they're setting. But I think there's two answers to your question or two ways to answer that. I think there are a lot of people, and, and this is true of my generation, and I think it's trickled through. There are a lot of people that are living a checklist life. And so, you know, they graduate high school. The next thing on the checklist is college. It's not because they want to go to college. It's not because they're driven to go to a particular college. It's just, that's the next thing. And so I think th those students uh, kind of just are doing it for the sake of doing it. It's not, they're not driven by a passion necessarily. I also think there's a group of students that, I mean, maybe we go into this and we talked about this on on your episode on my show is this no child left behind in early 2000s is kind of trickling even still into higher education in which there are students that maybe typically back then would not have succeeded in college because of whatever circumstances in their lives, but they were pushed through the system and given a false sense of confidence or something. I don't know what it is. And so they get to college and everything is harder than expected. And therefore they're not checked in, right? Mm. Because they're just trying to get through in which maybe in high school, they just got through. And so I think that that part is like, you know, they're kind of trying to get that degree because society has told them that that degree equals success or equals mm. a job. And so part of my personal branding class, when I'm teaching that now, I remind them that you're graduating with a hundred other students with the same exact degree, right? And so now that doesn't make you special. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that in a mean way, but mm -hmm. I say that in a way that you also need to do the work 
to figure out how you stand out or what you offer to the world that's different than that piece of paper. Because if you're competing against everyone that did the same exact thing that you did, it's going to be hard to stand out or hard to get that next job. So, you know, I think there's lots of people that are doing things that just because they're supposed to, quote unquote, mm -hmm. supposed to. Yeah, we can get into Notala behind while, while we're here on that topic. But um, a couple of points. I think it really does start in secondary. So like, you know, you're in higher, but we're, we have to foster passion and real learning and identity. And like, what do you want to not, what do you want to be, but like, what kind of person in community, like, what, what are you bringing like to your community into this world? And not just like, what's my job going to be? Um, and so we can get into that, you know, when we get into education reform too, it's just like how we look at like school and what it should really look like. Cause you're right. I think a lot of people are just doing the status quo of what's expected from them, checking off boxes, and then they go into programs they're spending money for these, you know, degrees. And they're like, I don't even really know what I'm doing. I don't really care. And this point about leaving college with all of these other people with the same degree, it's like, you have to personal, you know, like personal branding, you have to brand yourself, you have to make connections, you have to network, you have to get to know people and, and bring something of value because that the degree or even the college name doesn't matter anymore. It really doesn't. Um, I think we're living in a society where it's about making connections and it's really about like who, you know, but not just who, you know, like get me a job, but like making really like valuable connections and, and putting yourself out there. Um, and I think being authentic, right. I think that's really where we're going is being authentic and not just saying here, I have this degree, I have this paper, give me a job. It doesn't happen like that anymore. Um, but going back to no child left behind, I do think we're in like a time where we're seeing still the remnants of that. And I know I talked about it on your show, but, um, like, how do you see that, like, really impacting, like, school systems? You know, this was 2004, right, when it yeah. came out. <laughs> yeah. I just, I honestly think there are students that uh, maybe wouldn't typically have graduated on time. And in in a regular world, that's okay because life was in their way and eventually they will finish when they get the support that they need to they were pushed through and you know they get to the end didn't learn what they were supposed to because we weren't measuring it on objectives we were just kind of like don't leave them behind yeah. pull them through do whatever you can the real world's not going to do that for you they're not they're just going to leave you behind and so i think we're setting these students up you know you say be authentic but what happens is their authentic authenticity is kind of skewed because mm -hmm. we've given them this false sense of confidence <clears throat> mm -hmm. that, you know, that no longer do you have to work for an A, no longer is C average and okay. Like we need to celebrate the fact that not, not everyone is a top-notch student and that's okay because not everyone has the time to devote to it or the skills to do it or the care or the desire. And, and then that sees our average and, and our passing and are okay. But what happens is if you make that typical C student an A student, mm -hmm. because 
our emotions get in the way or any of those things. People like myself, when you get to college and you grade strictly on the rubric and the instructions and the student doesn't produce the work that is required of them at that level, whatever, 100, 200, 300, 400 level, then you get this, this argument from the student saying, I'm an A plus student. And so, mm. you know, as teachers, I think we need to go back to creating activities based on these objectives and like, what do we need to see to know that you've met this objective? And if the student doesn't meet it, then sure, we can do remedial things, but we shouldn't just be like, oh, well, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a B. Mm -hmm. Really, it's an F, but, you know, I'm going to give you a B. Yeah. Because I think we're letting these emotions come in and we're not really sticking to like, these are the actual criteria that we need to meet yeah. to hit that objective. So I think that's kind of built this breed of students. Not every student's like that, mm -hmm. obviously, but I think it's built some students to give this false sense of confidence in their abilities, yeah. which then makes me the bad guy. Yeah. And they're let down. You know, they get to college or they get out into the workforce and things don't happen instant gratification or all the affirmations all the time and they get let down and I could see that being a place where then they don't know how to handle failure like they don't know how to handle mm -hmm. adversity the entitlement is I deserve an A like I should get an A I should get praise constantly you know and I don't have to do that much for it and the work ethic has really like gone down and the sense mm -hmm. of like being independent because I've heard this from when I was in grad school from my professors who taught undergrad in the education uh, department, they're like, these freshmen come in and they're like basically still being, you know, they're holding the hand of their parent. Like they they don't know how to do things on their own. They're not independent. And they expect a lot from the professors as far as like constant feedback and just again, constant like you know, how am I going to get an A? They've even asked for extra credit mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> at the college level. I could not imagine if I was in college asking for extra credit from a professor. Um, and kind of moving into my next part, and because some of this, what we're talking about, will lead into like what we can see change in education is how about during the pandemic, teaching during that time and and the challenges, you know, with that or anything that was like maybe a lesson or aha moment for you, or maybe it's tied to some of the things we're talking about now too. You know, honestly, I, by the time the pandemic rolled around, I had moved into solely teaching online and kind of was in very much a regular routine. And from the teacher side and the student side, I would say for the most part, not much changed on our side, fortunately. You know, naturally people were getting sick and things, you know, we had to give extensions. It's hard in my space when your semester is four weeks long, it's mm -hmm. hard to give an extension, right? <laughs> without without a student getting behind. Yeah. Because after those four weeks, they move into their next course or their next set of courses. Mm -hmm. And so if you're behind, you know, like at what point does it catch up with you that you're so far behind that, you know, you're still doing last month's work when the current month is ending? Mm -hmm. So we had a little bit of adjustment period as it relates to that, probably more, not withdrawals, but people just taking that month off and starting again when they felt better, mm -hmm. because that's just a better experience for someone than trying to catch up on yeah. a, such a compressed time period. So fortunately for me, my life didn't change too much in the sense of teaching. I was still able to do everything I was already doing. I didn't yeah. go to the office as much. 
And, but, you know, I was able to grade the work just as efficiently do the zoom sessions. We have more of an asynchronous experience than we have a, of a synchronous. We offer the synchronous experience, but students can choose to do it. They can watch an archive or something like mm -hmm. that. Uh, a lot of the learning is through the resources and the things that we've already created. So they can have that asynchronous experience and not so lecture based, especially for, for online students most of our online students are working full-time. So okay. this, the, the setup is a little bit different. So I was fortunate in that sense. Mm -hmm. Our campus, obviously our campus shut down. And so our campus teachers had to do more adjustment of the, the live sessions to, to equal, you know, they're just set up a little bit differently. So I was fortunate. Yeah. And I think our students, I don't think we saw much of a, a downfall uh, in our student work or anything like that. I think it's pretty standard. Okay. Um, and just thinking about like now you're three. So maybe like in this current year, have you seen any difference in your students maybe coming out of high school that went through like the pandemic kind of closing down, working at home virtual? Did you see any like change in your students from I think the our beginning to this time? I think our students were uh, or maybe are more accustomed to extensions now and not asking ahead of time yes. and just kind of expecting things. And so, you know, at the college level, I try to impress upon these individuals who could be 18, they could be 60, they could be 70, you know, they could be any of those ages in between. And I try to just impress upon them that this college experience should be like a work experience. So if you weren't going to go to work one day, you probably would tell someone ahead of time and not three days later or something along those lines. So I think that, you know, I try to impress upon them that there is a professional responsibility to be a student and to respect my time and, and what I'm trying to offer you. And if you're mm -hmm. turning in things late, that's affecting other students. And so, you know, I think that the students now post pandemic maybe are a little bit more relaxed in the sense of approaching schoolwork. Maybe it's not as important to them as before. Maybe it's uh, an afterthought. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think the quality is is about the same. I don't okay. think I've, it, to your question of like incoming high school students, I don't know that that our quality has changed too much, but I am also the classes that I teach are farther along in the program. They're not okay right away. They're in like maybe later in the first year yeah. or some just closer to graduation, so. Yeah, we have definitely seen that issue with extensions. <laughs> um, I think there was a lot of grace given as it should have been in the height of the pandemic, but then it's like trickling into like now year three and it's like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I really can't do this. Or like, there's like this sense of just like very relaxed, kind of like, you know, I'll get it, get there when I get there. So I try to do the same thing. I'm very like upfront with them. Like if you need an extension, I will give you one if you communicate with me, you right. know, in advance notice and you can't take advantage of it. So and there's also a penalty. Yeah, there's a penalty, right? Yeah. Um, And it, yeah, unless it's like a family emergency or something else, which usually in my situation in secondary, I have like mm -hmm. a parent contact, Um, you know, that happens, but you can't be just doing it late and then think that it's going to be, you know, something granted to you and there will be late points taken off. So you just have to be upfront with them. 
I think there's also a different expectation in the higher ed space that I some for some reason, and I was just a student again recently, but for some reason, some students see that, you know, I'm paying for this, so you should do what I want you to do yeah. versus yeah. like, oh, because I remember, you know, when I first did my undergrad, late 90s, early 2000s, then did my graduate degree, I can't imagine ever asking for extension one or ever asking for mm -hmm. anything more than what was given to me. And at that time, it was like, you know, like red marks on a paper or whatever. Mm -hmm. If I had a question I could ask, but I can't imagine some of the things that I see now from, you know, adults in, you know, in asking for things. But I was just, I just mentioned, I was a, I did another graduate degree during the pandemic and I saw the same of my classmates mm -hmm. that I see of my students. And so I think it's also trickling now up into mm -hmm. grad school as wow. well. Wow. It's so interesting. I think there's a difference though. I think, I think I see, and this might just be my perspective. I think I see uh, K through 12 differently. I see K through 12, you know, you're the teacher, you're the authority in the classroom. You are the go-to. I see college a little bit different. I, you know, I mentioned earlier, kind of like that guide on the side. Mm -hmm. I, I see it more, you know, yes, I have the credentials to teach you this material. I'm also human. And so I'd like to help mentor you and help make you a better student. I don't necessarily see it as, you know, the traditional, if we watch old movies of college and there's like a lecturer at the right. front forever and then nobody, you know, and then everyone just leaves when the bell rings. Yeah. I see it more as a walk around, as a reach out, as a human experience, but also to your point, there should still be that respect level. Mm -hmm. And I think that should be true of any human to human mm -hmm. interaction, not just the fact that we're teachers, right? Right, right. It should be, but I think that's missing also from society now, from some individuals mm -hmm. in which there's that lack of just respect as another human mm -hmm. that kind yeah. of plays into that. I do see your space mm. as, and maybe it's the age levels too, mm -hmm. like that you're, I don't want to say the word significantly, but you're older than your students mm -hmm. in which I could be the same age or younger True. than some of yeah. my students. So I want to yeah. earn the respect based on my position and what I'm able to do, but I also mm -hmm. want to treat everyone like a human and not, you know, you are mm -hmm. my pupil. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and that kind of leads us into my last part about um, some of the ideas you have for education reform. And, you know, it could be higher ed or what you see in like the public school system, K through 12. I know you've talked about with me before about grading and some of your ideas about that. So anything you want to kind of dive into? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, grades are, I don't think they're going anywhere. So I don't know yeah. that we can do anything about that. And, and people are very much wanting to know a level. They want to know, you know, how they compare to others or the expectations or whatever that may be. But if we are going to do grading, then we need to do it properly. Mm -hmm. And we need to create meaningful instructions that align with meaningful rubrics and then judge the work, not the student. Right. And so I don't think we're doing that. I don't think that a lot of schools are really like, here is the written out clear as day expectations that we have. This is the only way you are going to earn points for this activity and follow through. And so I think that is one thing. Another thing is we need to normalize 
that not everyone is an A-plus student, and that's okay. And not everyone is college-bound, and that should be okay, too. There are far <laughs> more people, I think, getting trade education or getting some kind of technical education that are immediately making way more money than college graduates. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to also say that that's an option and that's something that should be celebrated and something yes. that we could go towards and not everyone needs to get a liberal arts degree. Everyone, you know, like mm. we need to just normalize the fact that college is not the end all be all for every single person. And it also does not equate to success. Right. I, I don't, it doesn't guarantee success. There are many, many famous, successful, or not famous, any, you know, successful people that do not have college degrees and they learn by doing or they mm -hmm. learned in a different way. And that's okay. I talk to people on my podcast about like the journeys that they've taken that are not that prescriptive model, that checklist model that I mentioned earlier. And they're super successful because they didn't feel boxed in by whatever that society requirement was of them. And so we just need to celebrate that more, but also on the grading side, just hold student work accountable to what was expected and celebrate learning from failure. I mean, mm -hmm. that's where I learn the best, right? Is I, I make a mistake. I'm not making that one again. If there's a consequence to that mistake, that's when I learn. If I'm skating by and it's kind of excused every time mm. and it's like, oh, well, you still got 100 or you still got into this, even though you did this wrong, then I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to stick with right. me. Right. But if I get some kind of consequence to making a mistake and you're in a safe space, like school should be the place where you make the mistakes. Colleges should be the place where you make mistakes so that you don't do it when you're like on someone else's dime. True. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked about this often too, that I just, I would love to see a culture in our country um, that is not all about academia. Mm. Like we need to look at the workforce career path as all these different possibilities, like VOTEC programs, you know, mm -hmm. in every school and really like, you know, fostering this um, culture of like the trades are great. Like you can be super successful, make good money, but also have a very specific skill that yeah. will be needed. And I was just saying to someone yesterday, um, take the recession, right? You know, a time period where a lot of people get laid off and, you know, maybe in whatever industry you're in with your degree, that job doesn't exist anymore. If you're in a trade, you can take that with you through those difficult times. And it's something that will always be like, even if you don't do it forever, but you can fall back on it. And so this needs to be talked about in schools, like promote it, have the program, but talked about and not necessarily college, college, college. It's also really hard to change parents, their mm. mindsets. Like, I don't know how you get them on board with that too. So, I mean, it does start with the schools being able to have those programs and then communicate that and communicate the benefit to students and parents. Um, but the, the counselors who are working with like, where are you going to go after high school? They should be promoting the trades or like VOTEC programs. So, you know, there's a shift, I think that we need to see just in the culture itself. Right now, I think that could be a possibility because college is so expensive. 
Yeah. And everyone has so many student loans and it's like, why are we still promoting this? Well, I mean, I think that goes back to high schools and middle schools need to teach more about finance and understanding mm -hmm. money, because I think there are a lot of people that take loans that don't understand compound interest, don't mm -hmm. understand that you must pay it. And when you take out a $50,000 loan, you're not paying $50,000 back. You're paying a multiple of that. Yeah. And so understanding that, I think there are still students that will sign up for college that don't understand yeah. it's or they have this false sense that when they graduate the day they graduate they'll get a hundred thousand dollar job immediately because they just graduated and so i think if we can add that to also celebrating mental health and and you know understanding that failures are not failures but learning opportunities throughout even to the sense of your school being a college prep school mm -hmm. I'm sure that, you know, all of them, you want to get them to college, but if they get to college and they realize that college is not the space mm -hmm. for them, that also needs to be normalized that it's okay yeah. to not, you know, like find your path, take a gap year, explore something, you know, take a different type of, you know, like, like a 10 week class on something you're super interested in. Maybe that's the avenue you go and just being okay that, you know, there's not one path that everyone should take. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I actually am seeing more students do the gap year mm -hmm. um, from high school or like a gap semester from high school to college. Like they might have, you know, already applied and they're in, but they take that time. Maybe it's to work. Like I know some students who just work mm -hmm. and they just want to have that independence, be working, doing that just before they get right into college. But yeah, I think that needs to be normalized of like change is okay. And it's okay if something doesn't work out. And then it's okay that in your mind or maybe in your parents, you know, mindset of like, this is what you're going to be. If you don't want to do it, that's okay. Um, it's okay to leave college. Like that, that is an important conversation. Like you could have tried it. And then like, like I wished that happened to some of my friends that I knew and they went like the hard route where they, they tried to push through it. And then they end up never using their degree. Right. And they have, you know, that money to pay and they like were more lost actually later on in life, mm -hmm. which is like, that's really sad, you know? So we're not really setting people up for success if they're going to be lost in their thirties or forties because they tried to do this track and it just, it didn't work out for them. But also to that point, I think maybe that it just wasn't the right time right? Yeah. A lot of us, sometimes we need to live our lives and do certain things to realize the value that college could bring to us. Maybe yeah. had we not, and then like gone back and gone at 30 something after living some more of life and like being a, an adult on your own and learning things and, and figuring out, oh, I hate that industry, or I really love this industry. And then you go to college and you're like, everything makes sense. Everything's aligned. You know, we don't have to be 18 and determine the rest of our future by jumping right into college. So sometimes it's just not the right time. That's so true. That's so true. And there's nothing wrong with just working a job. There's nothing wrong, you know, in your young adult years, just working like a regular job where I worked in retail, I worked in restaurants. Same. If Same. I did that through my twenties, if I didn't really know what I wanted to do, like I did know I wanted to go into education early on. So I was, you know, kind of fortunate in that it did line up. But if I didn't, like, that's okay. Like you can, you can live in an apartment with roommates and you can have your, your job and, you know, work full time and 
and just make it. And that builds your independence. And that makes you, I think, a stronger adult so that if college does come back into your life, like you probably would be much more ready for it at that time. But yeah, normalizing even just like regular day jobs are fine to have, like just support yourself. They teach you a lot. They They teach you. I think real world often teaches us way more than some particular classes, right? Because, and that's kind of why our school goes the practical route. And it's not like, here's your textbook, learn these 10 problems, but rather like, here's what you're actually going to face. So if you have an accounting class, it's not going to be what you would traditionally take at another school. It's going to be like, okay, you want to be this career. Here's what you need to know about accounting. You're probably going to have an accountant, but these are the things you need to know. So Mm. you don't get swindled like the real stuff. And so I think that real life will tell you also what you don't want to do. You know, Mm -hmm. I got the second graduate degree in something that I was interested in this time. Mm. Whereas the first time it was like, the next step in my life was to go to college. Uh Oh, now I need to pick a degree. Uh Oh, I changed it six times and then graduated with one that I don't even tell people that I got because it yeah. doesn't, it's not, doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and I didn't yeah. care about it. Yeah. And so now I have this one in which I'm like, okay, I'm in my forties and I'm getting a graduate degree and I'm interested in it. So the homework's not as hard. So the activities are not as hard. I found podcasting through it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like living the best version of my life because I had done all that other stuff. And I realized the things mm. that I didn't like to do. And and now I know that this feels right. And so I think there's something to be said about time and allowing that. Yeah, like what you're doing right now is a great example of, you know, what we were just talking about. Like you, you know, did something before, got a degree before, and you're like, that wasn't really for me. And then you did this in your 40s during the pandemic and you really were into it. And then you build a beautiful podcast from that. And this is, you know, this is what it's all about. Life is your greatest teacher. I know that's like some quote (laughs) out there. I did not come up with that. Um, But it really is like, it just um, teaches you the hard lessons and like finding yourself and like truly like what lights you up. And if it happens like later in life in your forties, so what? That's awesome. You know, it doesn't matter when it happens. If it happens, it's great that it happened. Yeah. I think, you know, that kind of just goes back to, we have these expectations in school. I think we should, they should be levels. There should be grading. There should be all that, but we also should not put the pressure on students uh, that they have to do it a certain way, Mm. that they have to do life a certain way, I should say. And I think very, at least I felt like I had to go a certain direction. And if I didn't, you know, like yeah. I wasn't doing it right. So, you know, there's like two sides of it. It's like mm-hmm. when you're in school, hold them accountable, do what you need to do. This is your assignment graded as such. If you're a C student, congratulations, you're a C student. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Find your journey, find your life and and figure that out. What makes you happy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. Like, School, there's structure for a reason, right? There's time management, there's all of that, but there does need to be space to have these conversations and even programs like we were talking about with Votech to really inspire students to um, figure out their own path and not that there is a right way to do it and not compare yourself to other people. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that we try to have conversations about. (laughs) It's very hard to do that and to teach that, but yeah, don't compare yourself to other people or your parents or anything else. Um, this has been great, Matt. I have really enjoyed our conversation. And will you uh, want to share 
with uh, my listeners, uh, like where they could find you and a little bit maybe more about your podcast or anything else you want to share? Sure. I'll always talk about my podcast because it's my favorite thing. Uh, my podcast is a life shift podcast, and I talk to people about the pivotal moments that have changed their lives forever. It actually stemmed from losing my mother when I was about eight years old and how my life was drastically different from you know, day one or the day before and then the day after. It was 100% different. And so I always thought, like, do other people have moments like that? And it seems like they do. And so I, I like recorded like 50 something episodes now and just kind of keep on going with that. So you can find any information about that at www.thelifeshiftpodcast.com. So all that's there. And then you can connect with me on LinkedIn and Jackie can share that link in the show notes because I don't have that one memorized at the top of my head, but happy to connect, talk podcasting, talk education, talk, I don't know, whatever you want to talk about food. yes definitely connect with matt and check out his podcast the life shift it is amazing i love it um and he does have an incredible story that he shares um i forget which episode number episode 11 episode 11 matt's story um when i listened to it i just uh i was so moved and i was moved also by just how much you shared in your vulnerability. And that's really a a big theme of your podcast. And I really appreciate it. We need to have human connections. Your show does this as well, but you're, you know, focused on teachers and what's their story and how they get there. And, you know, I think the more we share our stories, the less people will feel alone. Mm, Great way to end this too. Thank you so much, Matt. And we'll be, of course, chatting and sharing as always. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices. 